This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 3D Pod. My name is Joris Peels, and as always, I'm here with Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Good. Who do we have today? Well, today we have Pia Harless of uh, Dimension. And Pia is, well, by now, a 3D printing industry veteran who, uh, yeah, helped to bring, uh, is in charge of the, the marketing for, for, for Dimension. Dimension is a company that does, uh, well, essentially for powderbed fusion, like HP and AOS and, and all those types of machines, they uh, depowder your build. So when you build up the, uh, with powder fusion, you have a laser and you build up uh, powder, like polymer powder, usually polyamide, and then you get a cake of powder. And what they do is they, uh, they help you take this whole entire cake and then put it in a machine that depowders it. And then you can put it in another machine that kind of makes the, the surface uniform. And then you can put it in their dyeing machine. That's what they call dye mention. And you can dye it one color. And that's, uh, uh, I think it's yeah, post-processing equipment is a real bellwether for the 3D printing industry. It's really important because you can buy a, a ASP 110 and put it in the corner of your research lab and not do anything. But if you invest in like post-processing equipment, you're actually making parts. And uh, back in the day, uh, when we first started coloring parts, I remember I went to the supermarket and we bought this stuff called Dylon <laughs> for T-shirts. And we bought these catering uh, soup, uh, it's kind of these soup warmer things you see at a buffet. Uh, and then we put it in there and we're stirring and then trying to get the parts out. Uh, and then they would like, they would like, we wouldn't be able to get them uh, the same color. <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, it was horrible. So I was really excited when Dimension came along and uh, yeah, really excited about the company. So welcome to the 3D pod, uh, Pia. Hello from Munich and thanks for having me. Oh, great. And, and we'll, yeah, we'll, I kind of, kind of described Dimension a little bit uh, for what you guys do. I, I think, so I think you're, you're much better at being able to tell us what Dimension's all about. Yeah, I think that wasn't uh, too bad, actually. Um, so, um, yeah, we're actually right now the, I would say, global leader when it comes to automated post-processing technology um, for industrial polymer 3D printing. So, like you said, and um, in short, our technology turns 3D printed raw parts as they come out of the printer into high value and colorful products. You're you're mainly focused on powder bed though, right? Not FDM or Yes, we are, but um of course since the technologies are rising with 3D printing and also industrializing, we also look into other technologies as well. So our main focus was and is powder bed, but several of our solutions are also working with FDM or SLA parts, for example, our um vapor fuse technology which is a vapor polishing um, technology and um, delivers sealed surfaces and um, rather smooth surfaces. So that mm -hmm. helps with, uh, or that can help with um, FDM parts as well, for example. So you basically, if you're looking at the surfacing technology, you have two different technologies. One is just basically a kind of a mechanical finishing, right? Yes. So, so this one is uh, suitable for, I would say most of the applications we serve right now. So this is more an aesthetic, nice um, finish. It improves the scratch resistance. It makes the surface, the haptics nice. Um, it makes it homogeneous. 
And you mm -hmm. can use it, for example, for eyewear, or it's being used for orthotics, for automotive spare parts, stuff like that. And then we have the, the vapor fuse um, I just mentioned, and this is more, um, I would say, a functional finish. So you would use that if you really need sealed, washable parts, if you need to have them airtight, um, then you would go for vapor fuse. Because like you were essentially with vapor smoothing, you would well you would do sort of a porosity already with with uh, kind of like a mechanical step, but with vapor smoothing, the porosity is a, an issue in in, in uh, part of fusion parts, and you would reduce the porosity, right? Also in the part or just it's the top the of it or everywhere. Yeah, or? It's <laughs> so so mostly on the surface. And is it? I assume that given the name vapor, I assume you're introducing like a chemical, like an acetate or something like that, and then having vapors. Uh, eat away at the plastic to make a more smooth surface. Yeah, so so we have vapor in inside our machine and it's being um, heated up and under um, vacuum, the surface of the part is then um, smooth. That's um, that's how it works. And um, yeah, we're using a very let's say eco-friendly um, solvent, um, which is also being recycled within the machine and um, yeah, it's it's also safe to use it, for example, in, in medical applications or parts that um, get in contact with your skin, for example. So this can also, therefore, I would assume, do multiple materials, not just ABS, but like, you know, a whole range of of materials that it can smooth out. Yeah, so like for all our solutions, we um, we try to go um for as many materials as possible and and therefore we can adapt the process parameters the heat and the the length of the process so right now the vapor polishing is mostly used for pa11 pa12 or tpu parts um and we're also doing um, the very first tests with um pp parts i think this will be um, a huge mm -hmm. topic in the future because you can't really treat tpu or um, polypropylene um, with a mechanical blasting process and this is why um, especially for more flexible materials um, this vapor polishing is a big thing and I like the echo thing here because I, I get a feeling that maybe like and all the things I'm always really skeptical of reason about green and echo and all this stuff. Um, but I think here, maybe it actually like in food contact applications and medical stuff, it, it would actually, uh, it would actually maybe be a, a real advantage that you're like chemically a little safer than, than, than well, than for example, you know, vapor acetone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hopefully. So, so from the very beginning when we developed this technology or when we started to develop it, there was a big demand from our um, corporate customers. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, we're also getting this um, testified, of course. Um, and if we get, for example, a food certification um, or similar things, that always depends on the base material as well. So we know that the, the solvent we're using is very eco-friendly and not harmful at all. But of course, in the end, you only get an ISO certificate or um, similar um, tests together with the, with the base material itself. And who are you seeing as your main customers right now? So the early adopters of our technology and also our biggest customer group today are service bureaus. And it can be big ones um, like Materialize or FKM, um, it, but it also can be smaller and local businesses. 
And of course, through them, um, we serve some big corporates as well, like indirectly. So um, they produce parts then for BMW or um, other big corporates. And then on the other hand, we are also um, selling to the corporates um, directly. Um, and yeah, I would say these two are our biggest um, customer groups right now. And when it comes to, to verticals, um, I would say our most successful application out there is, is eyewear. And, and why is that, do you think? Is, is it because it's a really high value part where kind of like the, the, the coloring is super important or the aesthetics are super important or? Yeah, so I think like back then when we started with Dimension or when, when I started with Dimension in 2016, it was it was the first application that we kind of unlocked together um, with some eyewear customers and the, the service providers producing the eyewear. And yeah, like you said, so a nice finish and color was super important for that application. So we put a lot of effort um, into that. And um, then the other eyewear um, companies, they started to adapt this. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's one, of the, one of the big things. The advantages are mm -hmm. really obvious to print, uh, to produce eyewear with AM. So you can customize it, you can do it on demand, you can use, um, or you can adapt trends pretty fast. This is also cool. So when our eyewear customers, for example, they see, hey, that's the new Pantone color of the year, or that's a, that's a trending color, let's just start with a new collection. And it, it takes them not too long to um, find a color, to develop it and to just roll out um, the new product line or color line. It's pretty cool. I also like that you guys, like you, I think you're the only ones that talk about haptics. Cause like for me, when I buy something as a consumer and I, like almost I'm looking at all around me, like almost everything around me is soft touch for some. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I, I don't know what, the haptics is really important to me. And I, and I really think we could do, since textures are so easy for us to do, we could really do with 3D printing a lot of things. We could make like a, a soft part of a tennis racket and like a more abrasive part where you shouldn't hold it or uh, an even more like kind of a sharp part where it's dangerous to hold it. You know, we could do a ton of stuff through haptics. I like that you guys are really thinking about it. Yeah, I also think, especially for for consumer products, that's that's really important. And yeah, who who wants to um, wear an eyewear frame which um, which doesn't feel good in the end as consumer? So it it may be helpful and cost effective um, for the eyewear company and the producer, but in the end, um, the consumer should decide whether the product feels good or not. That's true. Yeah. And are you guys like really excited about like mass customization? Because that's like this eyewear is, is mass customization. Or do you also see like serial production as being a part of your business in the future? Or? Mm, I mean, b both is important, right? And, and both can be done with um, additive. But um, I think especially when it comes to, to color um, and our color matching technology, which can achieve almost every color um, that's that's suitable for for mass customization of course but we also have um, some some customers or some applications and they just use black and the same finish um, in in high volume so um, both both is both is um, fine I guess and we are working on both in terms of well how did you guys get started first we kind of glanced over that how did your, your founders actually end up founding the company I, I think they, they tried to make iPhone cases right or something like that <laughs> yes, 
so it was, uh, I think, in 2013, um, where my two old friends, Felix and Philip, they, um, yeah, at first they just wanted to start their own business. I think that was the, was the main idea. And they did several other things before those eyewear uh, frames that failed, actually. <laughs> but then uh, they heard about 3D printing. Um, and they said, hey, that's, that's a cool thing. Let's do something with it. So that was uh, the first idea. And then they yeah, had this idea to design and sell and customize smartphone cases in the, in the design of large companies. And um, back then there was not really a good coloring solution on the market. So they just ordered parts from a service provider here in Germany and printed the parts and the color was not really good and the surface um, wasn't as well. And then they sold their first um, 100 cases and the color got off. So the customers were super pissed and say like, hey, you have to, you have to get those cases back. Uh, that doesn't work. Um, and this is where they actually look deeper into um, the coloring itself. And then um, I think at one point they, they met Arno from AIM Ventures at uh, one of those uh, 3D printing shows. And they showed him the, the iPhone cases and he told them very dire directly, hey, smartphone cases are boring, but what you're doing with the color is really great. And, and if you can find a solution for that, which is scalable, um, you will solve a big problem um, within the industry. Because back then there was not really a solution for surface, um, for nice surfaces and color. And yeah, this is uh, when the idea of Dimension was born and when they got their first um, seed funding from AIM Ventures. So, so they promised, hey, we uh, make it to build a machine for that. And then exactly one year after that, they put the first um, dyeing machine um, on Formnext, won the 3D, uh, won, the, won the Formnext startup challenge and uh, that was it. So now, and what's the state of your company right now? How big are you or what are you comfortable saying us about like where you are in your, your evolution, let's say? So right now we are almost 30 people working in our facilities in Munich and Austin, Texas. And yeah, together with our sales partners, I think we serve around 650 customers in over 30 different countries. So it's uh, it's getting uh, we're getting there and yes uh, it's really nice to see um what we achieved over the last years are you and profitable then, yet um no <laughs> so yeah, i think it's, it's it, i think that's always uh, the case when you um, when you work with investors money and when yeah. you invest so heavily in the future um in technology in people in infrastructure but of course, uh, that's our big goal. Uh, so you have a strategy, you sell only indirectly or you sold directly or how, how, what's your go-to-market a little bit or what can you tell us about that? Of course, we started to sell um, directly back then when, when I joined the company five, five years ago. Um, and it was pretty cool that right from the beginning, we had a very global customer base. So I think the, the first five pilot customers of the new um, of our coloring system, they came from, I think, four different countries. 
But then, of course, with the with the growth of our company, um, we decided to go with sales partners as well. And um, yeah, we are heavily doing this since two years now, and um, especially in regions where we are not on site or where we have a language barrier, for example, in Spain or France or Italy or Korea and China, we're working with um, authorized sales partners. And um, yeah, customers can, can buy our systems through them. They help us with the service and they really take care um, about the, the local customers. So in the end, we do both direct um, and we work with um, sales partners. How do you, as a marketeer, support like a sales partner network? I mean, is, that, is there something kind of peculiar or kind of difficult about doing that? Or So for us, it was quite challenging um, at first because, yeah, two years ago, the, the number of sales partners was very quickly arising. Um, but now um, we're very good to go, I would say. So, so in my uh, marketing team, we have um, one person who... Um, with her main focus um, deals with uh, the sales partners and she's um, equipping them with everything they need brochures um, infos uh, she's doing regular um, sales partner meetings and um, where we exchange knowledge and we do sales trainings and stuff like that so yeah it's um, it's quite cool to see how yeah how we how we ramped and enabled the ramped them up and enabled them over the last two years okay so marketing wise i think i think the founders of your company were very young when they started the business you're quite a young business overall you know has that changed how you approach the market like maybe you do more digital than other people stuff like that yeah i, th I think that helps uh, quite a lot so um also with uh, with covid coming last year i think we adapted really quickly um, to the new normal and the situation. So I think that's definitely helping. Yeah, I would say, but uh, on the other hand, um, it was also quite challenging, especially in the beginning. So we were just a bunch of young people and then we had to negotiate and talk with uh, big guys in the manufacturing industry. And sometimes they maybe thought like, hey, what are those young wild guys telling me? Why should I buy their new technology? <laughs> But yeah, I think over time um, we we proved our um, position, and we also hired some experienced um, older um, people now. <laughs> is, is there one of them can drive? Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> is is there anything in particular that you think really aided in um, helping you guys get a little more established? Is it would you put it more on hiring a couple of of more experienced people, or was there a particular pitch that you guys saw having a much more effective um, tone with with the consumer. Mm, so I think in the end, it's um, it's especially our technology which which proved our position and which proved um, that what we are um, saying and and telling telling the world is uh, is helping and works. And I think um, as soon as um, also big companies got um, confident in our technology, they, they like on the other uh, side that we are maybe a bit younger and wilder um, in, our, in our culture um, than other companies in the industry are. Hmm. 
And and so so what you you did mention the 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 COVID thing. I mean, what, what did you do? How do you sell a machine during the whole COVID time? How, what do you guys? What's your solution to 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 continue to do marketing and sales in in this era? Yeah. So actually, from a marketing standpoint, it it was quite challenging um, at first because if you sell hardware tech, it's it's kind of key that your potential customers and partners want to see and touch and test your systems before relying on them and, and yeah. placing them in their production line. So yeah, trade shows like Formnext, Rapid, AMARC, they have been um, key marketing activities for us, of course. Yeah, I can, I can tell you what we are working um, on right now because I think this is probably um, the, the best thing that we will do so far in those, those COVID times. So we um, are currently working on the launch of um, three new products that we actually wanted to launch from next last year. Um, but since this was only digital, we, we, need to, we needed to come up, come up with something different. Um, so what we will do now in the end is to build up a little TV studio here in our warehouse in Munich and we will put the machines there. We will have our experts. We will have some partners on the digital stage. And then we will stream globally from there. And viewers can, for example, interact with us by asking us questions that we answer in the in the live Q&A at the end of the session. After the show, after the launch, we will invite, let's say, smaller groups that can come to Munich or Austin and we want to do so-called, uh, let's say, live experience tours, where we, of course, not show it to a big group like on Formnext, but where we show um, the new systems um, and make the technology accessible for, let's say, a bunch of people, like two or three from one company after each other. Mm. And yeah, I think that's probably the only thing you can do right now um, in selling hardware tech, because you you can't just put online ads for our industrial machines out there and people right. click on them and buy them. That's sadly not how it works. Really? You can't just go on Facebook? And, <laughs> and have you guys... Oh, we, uh, we, we tried it, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but is, and, and did you guys like... It's, it's tempting to then look at stuff like VR or video. Did you guys look at the, these kind of alternatives? Yes, of course. Um, so what we want to do um, in the next couple of months is, for example, to create a digital showroom where we can also guide people through our systems and technology um, on the phone or um, in a Zoom meeting, for example. So, so this could help, of course. And we start to using um, at least AR um, to um, enable, for example, our, our service partners and our service technicians. And that works pretty good. Yeah, maybe we'll use that in the marketing um, in the future as well. You know, for you guys especially, the color is such a big part of it, the texture, giving parts to people, such a big part of the whole experience. How do you kind of make that excitement or how do you try to bring that excitement and attention uh, uh, now? Good question. So... <laughs> Um, what we're still doing and what is more important than ever is, um, is doing benchmarks, of course, or sending out sample kits. So, mm. um, yeah, since we, in the end, sell a very haptical, physical thing, um, we, yeah, we, we offer the opportunity to just order a sample kit on our website and then we would send this um, to your home or your business and there you can um, 
there you have like a color fan of our most um, successful colors and you also have like a, a small um, sample parts where you can see the two different finishes um, and if you want to do a benchmark you could always send us your let's say raw parts um, we process them and we make a nice report with with images um, we'll add some notes about what we did to the parts then we would send it to you and then we would do like a follow-up call to to speak about it and that at least helps to get something in the hand of the people also during that times i think that's good i mean i think i think the thing is yeah there's anything that works to experience something or the experience of brand i think would be really good and and do you guys literally like shift all of your budget for trade shows to digital or what did you do or were you very conservative because you're you're a bit worried about the economy is going to do yeah so we, we did not spend as much as we planned uh, last year which which was good in the end i guess um but for this year for example um, we also planned all, all the big shows again. Let, let's see what happens. So um, looking at AMAC, for example, um, it looks like it will take place. Looking at Rapid in September, we want to go. Also, um, TZT Asia is still scheduled for May. And we also hope for, for Formex to um, arise again physically. So if it's um, getting on again with the exhibitions, we will be there. Are there any new industries that you're you're starting to explore that um, you wouldn't have thought of previously that are either you've discovered into or that other people are coming to you with? We just started before COVID with um, looking into the aerospace industry, also with um, vapor fuse. But actually, it's a bit quiet around this right now, obviously. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so let's see what happens with the aerospace industry. Um, in the long run and what else is there um, yeah we're still super excited um, about entering the footwear industry so I think mm. this will be something um, we have a lot to offer and we had this um, let's say concept project at least with US and Siemens last form next where we put together um, sort of a reference architecture or reference um, factory um, and we calculated okay how what could you do with some US printers and our machines and the Siemens software and now we're um, hoping to be able to adapt that to real applications and customers that would be um, a nice thing. And footwear is kind of really challenging because it uses a lot of different materials. The costs aren't exactly sky high, you know, a lot bigger parts, but then, uh, you know, it's not necessarily more expensive uh, compared to air eyewear. Do you, th do you think the economics are there? Or do, you, do you hope that they'll get there sometime? Or I think costs are a, a big um, topic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So um, let's, let's see. Um, right now, I think it's still quite challenging for footwear companies to really go with a um, 3D printed um, collection when they want to earn money with it. Right. So we didn't really talk about the cost because like on the part is like, if I'm just using your depowdering solution, uh, the idea is that I'll save money, right? So, so how does that work? If I have like one machine, could you tell me a little bit like, like how much money or time I would save or if I, if I was using the, just the depowdering? 
Mm, I mean, it, it always depends on the amount of parts you're doing, on the runs per day you're doing um, and stuff like that. But um, of course, you can, when it comes to, to manpower and time, you can save a lot of costs. So looking at how people are um, depowdering with like a um, hand blasting cabinet or, um, or with their hand and some pressured air compared to they're just throwing... Um, or the, um, the whole print job in our in our PowerShot C, for example, they press start and 10 minutes afterwards, um, the parts are depowdered and can be processed on the um, in the next steps. That saves everybody a lot of time and money, um, no matter how many parts you're doing inside. Yeah. And do I, can I fill like a whole build in one PowerShot or a whole build of a small machine or how does that work? Yeah, of course, it always depends on your your job, um, of course. But you could uh, <laughs> you could um, do let's say almost a almost a full ESP three job um, in mm -hmm. one of the power shots, and you could do um, a full HP um, job like from the from the multi jet fusion printers. Okay, okay, so that's in one. And then of course, if it takes ten minutes, then I could I could serve like multiple machines with one power shot, right? I, I wouldn't have to buy yes, one for. Yes, yes, you could. And and what would what uh, will be pretty cool about our um, new PowerShot uh, performance series that we will launch on, on March 24th is mm -hmm. that we, um, for the first time, will also combine both processes. So we will offer like three models. We offer the PowerShot Performance C single version and the S for surfacing again. But then we will also offer a PowerShot, we call it dual performance which can do um, cleaning and surfacing in one machine after each other. Um, so this, of course, saves you some space in your production and also some, times when it some time when it comes to handling the parts. You don't have to put it from one machine into another, whether by a hand or a robot or an AGV. Yeah. I think that's a really cool, cool idea. That really, that's a really practical idea, especially for very small service bureaus. And especially in a very mm -hmm. hectic time, let's say, and just to have it in one batch, those two processes, that's, that's, uh, I think that's, a, yeah, I think that's a really exciting uh, thing. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and do you guys have, so what, what are you, if you're talking about like, if we go to like larger volumes, I mean, are you guys looking at like really gigantic machines or just faster batches or what's your thinking on the future? What do you, how do you see this evolving? So, yeah, when we look at our, um, new system that we will launch, um, it will have um, a bigger capacity than our classic PowerShot um, CNS models right now. But I think that's that's pretty fine because like you said, you can you can also today serve a serve several machines like printers um, with one PowerShot C for example. And um, so I think the size is not the topic right now. Um, it's more about um, automation and integration and yeah, how to get the parts from one machine to another. I think that's, um, that's the key topics when we look at the factory of the future concepts. And with mm. the new performance series, we are, we are, let's say, at least setting the stage um, for a bigger automation. So this one would be... Um, possible to adapt to different automation concepts. So whether big companies using robotics or conveyor belts or HUVs, 
um, the partial performance could always adapt to those automation concepts. And I think that that solves a lot of um, problems. And also in addition to like automation and cost, I mean, I think one of the things you did mention in the beginning, was like this whole idea about turning raw parts into products. Um, which, of course, would mean that the value is higher, which I think would be very attractive for, for services or companies. But I think also, like, I think you could also be used to, to increase, like, just the general repeatability of, of getting the right part at the right time uh, and getting it out uh, the right way. Obviously. So I think um, when we talk about serial applications and, and high volume, um, we have to guarantee our, our customers that we can do this so that everything is traceable and repeatable. And yeah, of course, it helps that we can monitor all those parameters that we can um, that we can even work with um, data monitoring and, and software now to get your machine data, for example, on your phone um, and to to track everything. That's yeah. that's really yeah. important. Yeah. And and yeah, I think that, that could be really cool as well. And then are you talking as well, because like you're now coloring, I mean, you could also maybe do, I don't know, more functional for surfaces or different RA values or different, I don't know, put something conductive on. Are you looking at those kind of things too, or not really? Not too much right now, but I mean, in general, um, we are always developing what our customers and the market is demanding. And um, I think if the demand towards our side is, is arising, we will for sure have a look into those things. So it, it was um, similar, for example, with the automotive industry. So we, we, of course, wanted to serve the automotive industry and we wanted to color and surface um, interior parts. And then always the, the UV resistant and the light and heat resistant wasn't good enough. So we decided to develop specific colors with better properties or like different properties only for the automotive industry. And now we can conserve them. So it's definitely our goal to further develop, let's say application or industry specific solutions if we can really unlock applications with those. Okay. And where do you hope to be like, let's say as Dimension in like five years or so? Ah, good question. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let, let, let's hope that um, some of those uh, future factory concepts are already a reality. That would be pretty cool. And yeah, it, it would be cool if you could just go to a sneaker store, for example, and choose your customized um, sneaker and color and uh, that is finished with our technology. So yeah, I think we just uh, move forward. We will develop every technology um, needed by our customers to to drive the industrialization of AM and to um, uh, yeah enable the production of end use um, products with AM. All right, that sounds like a very ambitious uh, goal, but a very awesome <laughs> goal to to, to work towards. And uh, so I wish you a lot of luck with that. That sounds uh, really amazing. And thank you so much for being on the 3D Pod, Pia. Thank you. And thanks for having me. It was fun. And yeah, Max, thank you for being here uh, once again. Yeah, always, Joris. Good to see you. Or well, talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get to talk to you as what? well. That's a What's podcast. It? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and thank you for listening once again as well. And uh, this is the 3D Pod. My name is Joris Peels and uh, hope to see you again next time or listen to you again next time. Or no, wait. All right. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>
You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.